And please be seated as we come now to the opportunity to hear God's word once again, as we already heard from Chronicles and Isaiah, that is from the books of history and the books of prophecy. Now we come to the new covenant where Jesus Christ fulfills it all, and we read a famous passage which happens to only occur in the Gospel of Luke as a parable. It's the parable of the, that's a better word than the older word, persistent widow. And let's hear God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nonetheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So far, God's word may bless into our hearts and lives, and I direct your attention to the outline and the insert of your bulletin, Why Bother to Pray, and the outline given there. Shall we indeed pray? Lord, we ask you to help us, for we are weak or we are faithless, or we are proud, or we are discouraged. Give us then courage and faith to pray and not to give up. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so easy to give up when something doesn't happen right away. Maybe you are planning a summer vacation with your family. Maybe you'll drive down to the panhandle of Florida, the way our family often does, and enjoy some time in the sand and the surf. And you say, I just can't wait. After that, some months after that, Christmas may come, and you might look forward to that with anticipation. Some of you may be looking forward to retiring, perhaps someday. Some of you are looking for answers to prayer. And you're waiting and wondering when it's going to happen. And maybe you're tempted to give up. There might be several reasons why you might not pray. You might be discouraged. You might think you've prayed long enough. You may think God doesn't care. You may think it doesn't matter because, well, you're so proud and you think you can handle things on your own. So who needs to pray to God when you're so strong? Of course, we have many bad reasons not to pray, but there are very good reasons to pray for God's kingdom to come, for the wicked to be judged, and God's people even to be vindicated. We look forward to those big answers to prayer, but we also are called not to give up in everything in which we ought to pray. Notice verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they might always pray and not lose heart. Now, in the background of chapter 17, we see the disciples were wondering about the days of the Son of Man, including the coming of the Lord. They did not quite understand that when the Messiah came first, the first time he would come to die, and the second time he would come to judge and to save in public and show forth his glory to the nations. 
And there will be lots of false reports and false messiahs, he will say in chapter 17. And some people will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And then the day will suddenly come. Also in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. You may remember that judgment. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, in other words, we have to recognize that we should be ready and we should always pray for him to return in his time. Even so come, we might say, with the, with the gospel, with the John's writings in the book of Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus. All right, many times we will see around us people forgetting God. And we might say, this world is going down the tubes, look at our country. Maybe it's beyond redemption. Maybe there is no hope. Maybe people are not coming to the Lord the way they have been. Well, all of these things are simply mere appearances. We must always pray and not give up, even during this difficult time before the Son of Man returns. Instead of losing heart, we should be encouraged to pray all the more and not to give up. But we still might happen to have that kind of question in our mind. We may even have the kind of question that says, why should we bother to pray? Now that's an interesting point because we find that there are many ways, if you look at your outline, that we might be bothered. We find the example here in the judge who was bothered by the woman. Isn't that interesting that that's what it says that the judge thought? It says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. And so he was just selfish. He was a judge. You're supposed to bother the judge. You're supposed to go to the judge, aren't you? And Jesus, as he addressed his disciples, of course, was reminding them by way of contrast that there is such a thing as an unjust judge who is bothered by people coming to him. And he uses this illustration of a widow. Now, a widow, as you may remember, was a person who was often taken advantage of in Jewish society. In fact, it says later that the Pharisees would devour widows' houses. In other words, instead of helping them, they would ignore them, even take advantage of them. It's an odd thing. They would say to the widow, well, I know you need some help, but this money that I have belongs to God. And so you must go hungry, I guess. We have higher motives than helping you widows, of course. How foolish is that? And it's similar to the judge who didn't care, even though he was a judge, and even though he was supposed to listen to people's needs, especially the needs of widows. Now, clearly this is not like God. He's using a contrast, an illustration by way of contrast. And so you can see in the outline, this judge who's bothered by the woman is not like God. It's certainly not like what he was supposed to be. The judge is supposed to listen. The judge is, according to Jehoshaphat, we read in Second Chronicles, to have the fear of the Lord and to judge with the Lord without injustice or partiality or bribery. 
But of course, many judges in Israel didn't care, including the leaders of Israel of Jesus' time. He reminded them, as you might imagine, of the fact that the judge, the true judge, is God over all the earth. And that there would come a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who would judge not by what he sees or hears, mere outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment and even someday would judge all the nations. Well, what kind of a judge do we have here? Evil, ungracious, merciless, and surely unjust. I mean, can you imagine if you go to your dad, children? Hey, dad, I've got this problem. Go away, kid, you're bothering me. I mean, that doesn't happen, I hope. (laughs) You expect your dad to be sympathetic to you, to say, come on, come on, let's dry your tears. What's the problem? And that's, of course, what the Lord does. The Lord is compassionate and gracious toward his children, and so is the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that God is infinitely loving, infinitely gracious, infinitely merciful, infinitely just, And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things before you even ask him. As the Bible says, doesn't mean stop asking him. It means humble yourself before the Lord and call upon him in prayer and in sincerity. And Jesus is saying, here's this unjust judge. I wonder if God might be better than he is. Now the judge is bothered by the woman. The woman is, from his perspective, bothering the judge. As we see, after a little while, after he didn't listen, he decided to listen. He says he refused to listen because she's bothering me. But afterward, I said, though I neither fear God nor respect man, pretty honest anyway, of course this is a parable. He's not going to say this out loud, but in his heart and his mind he's going, I don't care about God or this crazy lady. Can you imagine this judge sitting in the gates of the town? And he's there for a reason, so people going in and out could talk to him if they wanted to. So he's sitting there, I don't know what he's doing exactly, biding his time, hoping to go home early, I don't know. But every single day, he sees this widow pitifully dragging herself into the gates of the city, and saying, give me relief from my adversary. And the judge goes, oh, no, not again. Every single day, this lady keeps coming, and she's bothering me. And he doesn't listen. Can you imagine a judge like that? This is, of course, possible. The judges of our nation are many times like this. They don't judge righteously. They judge according to their own whims and their own personal opinions. This woman, was she like us or not? Well, to the judge, this woman was a bother, a gadfly. Do you know a gadfly? Do you ever have, you ever out in the country and you're near a horse or something and there's a big, what they call horsefly? This is a huge thing. And it buzzes around your head. You kind of swat it away. Ow! Get out of here, you fly. And, of course, you can't really catch a fly very easily or get rid of it. Like he's buzzing around your head and buzzing around your head. And this fly bothered, might bother you, and this woman bothered the judge that way. She was a pest, a troublesome nobody, a gadfly. But look, according to this passage, 
The Lord will give justice to his elect. I think that's extremely significant. Jesus knows us, loves us, has saved us, even while we were yet his enemy, and he still saved us. And we're still sinners, and he still loves us. He comes to hear us, or we come to speak to him, and he hears us every single time. He doesn't go, oh, not you again. He says, I was wondering when you would come to me. Sometimes you hesitate. I don't want to bother God. You're not bothering God, okay? He's not like this unjust judge. If you have a need, be humble enough to admit it. That's, of course, largely the problem. I can handle this. I'm fine. How old am I by now? I don't need somebody helping me out. It's kind of American rugged individualism. Who needs God? But we need God, and we finally recognize that we know that we need God, and we come to him confessing our sins. But then we have more problems. How do we expect that God, who gave himself up for us all, even offering up his son as a sacrifice, will not with him give us all things. This is how we must expect to come to God as his elect, his chosen ones, his dearly loved, beloved children, created in his image and redeemed by the Son of God. And therefore, how much more ought we to expect to be able to come to a judge who will hear us? So we are like the woman, because we have great need, we have many enemies. Our adversaries are many. We have the world out there causing us trouble. How many problems do you have in the world today? How many are bothering you? And there's the flesh, your own sinful desires, and you kind of hate it, but it's a struggle every day against sin, and you wish you had some help. You have the world against you, you have the flesh against you, and the devil, of course, is prompting you all along to give up telling you how it's worthless and hopeless to go to God. He doesn't really care about you. He might whisper in your heart. But the Lord says, as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those that fear him, and particularly in this case, the widow is chosen as an example because, as the psalm says, he loves the fatherless and the widow, but subverts the sinner's way. You know that psalm? That's Psalm 146. It's a great psalm. And if you sing it, you kind of remember it a little bit more. I know you do. God, through Christ, pictures Jesus as being filled with love for the underprivileged, especially widows like Naomi. The book of Ruth, call me Mara, call me bitter. I'm by myself. I'm subject to others taking advantage of me. But when Jesus came, as he introduced his ministry in the place where Nazareth had a synagogue and he told them that I have come to bring good news to the poor and to the oppressed. And Elijah came to many widows in his day, but he especially went to the most underprivileged, to the Gentile widows even, and gave them good news. Jesus is a jubilee man. He loves to bring joy and he likes to surprise you with how much he cares about you. He was born, think about this, Jesus himself was born in poverty. Jesus himself was chased down to Egypt because all the little children were being killed all around him and they had to wait until that plague of terrible murder was over until he returned safe 
eventually to Nazareth. From then on, he had pity upon people in need, the widow of Nain, the sinful woman, Mary, Anna in the temple, the crippled woman healed on the Sabbath, and others. We heard about the prodigal son, the dad receiving him back with joy despite his waywardness, the tax collector who cheated people over and over, and Jesus came to save him too. And many women mourned Jesus when he died because he cared for those who were underprivileged and easily taken advantage of. Now, we are a little bit different than the woman because here we see the woman sort of frantically bothering an unjust judge. Well, we don't need to be frantic in our prayers. We need to be persistent in our prayers. That means it's not a matter of number of words. Remember the other parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? Pharisee lifted up his eyes. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men like this tax collector over here. And God didn't hear his prayers. They bounced off the ceiling. Whereas, you remember, the tax collector who finally realized he was a sinner didn't even lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. It's that humble. And how many times do we have to continue to pray those simple words? Now, God is not ignorant. He knows we're sinners. But we need to tell him that we know it ourselves. And we need to tell him, we know you are willing to hear our prayers. And therefore, we don't give up. Even when there seems to be no quick answer, life is not over yet. Certainly the woman represents the people of God in dire distress. A couple of years ago, I saw a missionary video by one of our missionaries who talked about a woman in a country where there was much persecution of Christians. And it pitifully showed this woman weeping, weeping before the Lord. It was a very poignant picture. But she didn't give up praying. In her time of need, she did not give up praying. And Jesus, the great judge, has great mercy on us. As we cry out to him, it actually says that God's people, how much do they cry out to God? It says the elect cry to him day and night. Do you? Now, I'm not saying every single moment you're actually uttering a prayer. You have a stance of prayer, a kind of an attitude of submission and of waiting and of not giving up and not complaining. And as we've seen, not worrying, but praying instead. If you're praying, you're coming to God who relieves your fears and your doubts and your worries. And you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus Christ himself was be beaten and bruised and broken and weighed down by the penalty for sins that were not even his own. He knows as a man of sorrows the grief that suffering can bring. But he did not give up and for the joy set before him continue to trust in God, lift up his voice, and even said when it was over, into your hands I commit my spirit. Therefore God does bother, so to speak. <laughs> 
I'm trying to continue this theme, you see. The judge is bothered by the woman. The woman bothers the judge. But here, does God bother? Now, we have a couple of interesting things. It says about God's answers to prayer, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them, and that speedily. Now, you might say, I've been praying a long time. Let me give you an example. There was a lady named Santa Monica, not the city in California, but the mother to Augustine, who was one of the church fathers, who was a rascal and a thief and a reprobate and an idolater and an unbeliever. I could go on. He was kind of like the Apostle Paul, only worse in a way. Of course, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. This guy didn't even pretend. He was just out there doing what he wanted to do. His mother prayed for him, this is Monica, for a long time, approximately 17 years. Now I started doing some quick math. If today it's 2023 and 17 years, is that 2006? If I started it back in 2006 and prayed for a lost loved one or a problem in my life, maybe now God chose to answer that prayer, and he does. And for Monica, he did. Augustine became a powerful Christian. Not only that, one of the great fathers of the church who wrote endless books about why we should believe in God. One of the most powerful is his so-called confessions. He talks about his sin. He admitted it. And then he became a church father and he kept on saying, you've got to be saved by grace alone. He knew that. 17 years. Monica prayed and didn't give up. Now, if you start praying now for a lost loved one, hmm, let me think. 20, how's our math doing here? Is it 2023? 20, 2040, is that about right? 17 years? Got my math right? By 2040, if you're still alive, <laughs> you might see an answer to prayer if you started now, or you might get an answer more quickly than that. It all depends on the wisdom of God. The Lord himself has not yet returned, but he will someday. Now, Hebrews says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And this passage really helps me. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. So when you say speedily, it doesn't mean instantly or right now. It means when he comes, it will be clearly his will. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, he will return with a shout and with a trumpet. Yet a little while and the coming one will come, but my righteous one shall live by faith, which is what we're trying to do here in prayer. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now here's the key point. Persevere until the coming of the Lord. It will be swift when it comes. So therefore, speedily means when God is ready, it'll happen. And it'll happen just like that in the twinkling of an eye, and nobody's going to miss it. Was that, was that the second coming? I can't remember. No, you're not going to miss it. It's going to happen, and you're not going to say, was that it? And that's why false messiahs come and go, as Jesus says in the previous chapter. But Jesus, when he comes, 
every eye will see him. The same thing which says in James, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Well, this is way back in the first century A.D., and now it's the 21st. That's a long time. But it's still, we might say, on the horizon of history. It's the next big thing to happen. Yes, some answers to prayer like that one, even so come, Lord Jesus, might seem to be slow. When Monica was praying 17 years, it might have seemed like a long time. But when her son was converted, don't you think she said that was worth it? I'd do it all over again, she might say. You pray for your own family and your friends, problems in the church or in your life. But you must always pray and never give up, whether it's a wayward son or daughter, an unbelieving family member or friend. Suddenly the Lord may answer. I'll tell you another true story. Back in, I guess it was 2005, we moved from the south in Chattanooga back up to the north in Dayton, Ohio, where I met a man and his wife, and they were both having trouble in their marriage. And we counsel, I counseled with them on and on and on and on and prayed with them, for them, with the elders. And one day, the wife couldn't take it anymore, and she had a restraining order against her husband. And she was thinking about divorcing him when about two years later, he came back to the Lord in a sudden way. I was actually sitting in my pastor friend's house down in Marietta, Georgia, when the phone call came in. And the wife said, my husband has repented of his sins. We need a new church for our new family. Now, of course, my heart was breaking with joy because God had answered prayer. You know what? It was just about 17 years. I'm not kidding. That's exactly about right, more or less. I'm not saying that's the magic number. I'm not saying that. But it could be a long time. But God suddenly answered. He changed a heart by his grace as he has done with all of his elect someday. So why would God require us to keep on praying and not give up? Why should he delay at all? Well, we don't want to have from God an idea that he's a magic genie and he'll do exactly what we want just when we say so. Who's in charge? Who knows what they're doing? Not us. A genie in the bottle is that lonesome bottle you find on the beach and you supposedly rub the bottle and out pops a genie and says, your wish is my command. And you say, I'll have a pile of gold, please. And the genie goes, okay. If God did that to you, do you know what happens when people win the lottery? It doesn't go well for them usually. You know what I'm talking about? That's not the best thing to have. And so God is not a genie because he will give us what is best, not always what we think we need right then and there. Or the bellboy view of God, which is when you go to a hotel, the guy at the concierge at the front desk goes, ding, 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 and out pops the bellboy. Yes, may I take your luggage to your room for a tip, please? Of course. God is not a bellboy. He's not a genie. God knows what is best. Sometimes, as Jesus said, if you ask for bread, he will not give you a stone. But if you ask for stone, will he give you a stone? I've had people say that. I prayed the wrong prayer and God answered me and this is what I get. That's ridiculous. 
He doesn't give you bad things at all. If you ask him for a stone, he's not going to give you a stone. He's going to say, no, it's not the best for you. And neither is a million dollars. Sometimes it's a loving wait. You have more to learn. You have to express to me your need of me. And then I will give it to you in the right time. Sometimes it's a loving preparation. Monica was just praying for her son to become a believer. Instead, he becomes one of the great authors of Christian writing in the history of the church. Loving preparation for a bigger answer than what you're praying for. And certainly, it's always a loving call to faith. Always helping us to grow into greater and greater dependence and perseverance with the Lord to keep on praying and not give up. The longer we live, the more we have opportunity to see the principle of the efficacy of the persistence of prayer at work. You're going to have to work at that, as it were, to trust the Lord for that, as it were. God will always hear prayer, but in his exercise of patience and mercy and forbearance, he also has patience, and that's why he hasn't returned yet. He's working in the world to redeem his elect from every nation, and that's going to happen. And when it does, then he will return. So he's having patience with many unbelievers who will come to him in due time. Let us be patient until the coming of the Lord. God is patient when he brings his judgments. Another example. How many plagues happened in Egypt? I know you all know this. Two hands full, ten plagues. I mean, he could have flipped right ahead, God could have, to the killing of the firstborn, which was the tenth plague. But he says, wait a minute, I have things to show you first, warning you. And so the first plague, you know, the River Nile, which they worshipped as a god because they got all their fish and food from it. So I'm going to turn it into blood and all the fish will die. How do you like that? I will judge your false god of the River Nile and every other plague was a judgment upon what they trusted in, whether it be cattle or their skin or their health or their strength or whatever it was, their, their crops. He judges every one of those things and says, I'm the Lord of all the earth. And then, after a while, he judges their greatest idol, which was Pharaoh and Pharaoh's little son, who was a little Pharaoh. Both of them thought they were gods. He's the god of Egypt, Pharaoh is, and the, next, the son was supposed to be the next god of Egypt. Not so, says God. God bears long before his judgments, which are always swift and terrible. They're finally, finally going to happen. And meanwhile, we patiently wait for God, who will avenge his own elect, which cry to him day and night. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I hope it's obvious then to you now why you should bother to pray. Should we bother? Briefly, let's look at verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, that is, in his own time. And when it comes, it will come just like that. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This, too, is kind of interesting if you look at the Greek. It actually says, will he find the faith on the earth? doesn't mean he's going to find no faith on the earth, maybe. But will he 
come and find this kind of faith, that is, of people that are waiting for him, and of course he will, but we must ask ourselves the question, do I have that kind of faith? Do I really trust God for the big things and the little things? And can you wait? Now you could argue that God has already answered our prayers in Christ, the kingdom has come. But the kingdom also is coming and it will come. He's already blessed us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but he's also preparing a place for us, both now and later. God has a blessing. We find that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who not only will judge the poor, according to Isaiah 11, but will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and he will judge the earth. Don't worry about it. The nations that are out there going crazy are not going to get away with it, including our own. The leaders who think they are hot stuff are going to be judged. Sure and sudden at the crisis, the action of divine providence coming unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. All right, what about your faith? Are you trusting him now? Do you trust him for your salvation? Do you trust him to work things out for your good, according to Romans 8? Do you believe that, or you just say it's a favorite Bible verse, and then you go out worrying every time something bad happens? I know it happens to me. Something bad happens. Oh, no. Wait a minute. (laughs) Do I believe what I'm preaching? Do you believe what you've confessed with your mouth? that Jesus is Lord or not. Of course we struggle. We know he's Lord, but we struggle to know him better as the sovereign Lord and Savior of everything that happens to us. That's why you are to pray without ceasing. That's why you're not supposed to lose heart when you pray. Does your heart know the Savior enough to pray and to wait in confidence, no matter what the example might be, his glorious return, or that thing that you're worried about right now. Give it to the Lord in prayer. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, we are ashamed of ourselves again as we hear your word coming to us and warning us not to give up. We pray, Lord, that this might be our joyous cry, that we might come and prepare our prayers before you time and again, every day, and every moment in some sense, leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ for all things, our salvation and everything else. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.